Well, Joel's been a little frustrated around the office these days. Welcome. We are going to continue in this series called I Don't Know, actually week two. And it's a series where we wanted to look at some of those difficult questions. And there's not a shortage of difficult questions that we could have picked from. And we just took a sampling of them. And over the next few weeks, we're looking at those questions. And right up front, we're saying, we don't have all the answers. You and I don't have all the answers. And sometimes the only thing that we can say is I don't know. The only authentic thing and genuine thing we can say is I don't know. We started last week by looking at the Bible. Because you know, and you've read books where scholars go and they end up using the Bible to answer some of these tough questions. You've asked Christ followers these questions and they come back and they look at scripture for some of the answers. And so we said, Let's tackle that question that people have. How how do I know that the Bible is true? How do I know that it's the Word of God and that it's reliable? It's an ancient text. And so we looked at that last week. And if you weren't able to be here, go online, lifepointchurch.com, click on My Resources, and you can get to the podcast or you can listen online. The questions for small groups are out there. If you're not in a small group, I'd encourage you to get in one. But you can grab those questions while you're trying to get in your group and use them in your own devotional times. But it's such an important question because we're going to use Scripture today and in the weeks ahead that that's why we chose to look at that question first. As we begin, I want to get Bibles in your hands. So if the ushers would come down and... For those of you that have forgotten your Bible, they'll give you one. Or if you do not have one, consider it a gift. And please take this home with you. But today's question is, one of, I think, one of the most toughest questions that a person of faith, a Christ follower, can be asked. And it's asked because as you live and you walk around and you see brokenness, you see illness, you see tragedies, you see financial hardships, you see death, just loss, it begs the question, how can a loving God allow suffering? Isn't that a legitimate question? We see it all around us, like suffering is a universal experience. As a Christ follower, I look at the hillside that Jesus was crucified on, and I see on one cross somebody who's perfect, and then I see a repentant thief, and I see a non-repentant thief. Yet all of them suffered. Suffering seems like a universal experience, like suffering is. And it begs that question, well, how could a loving God allow suffering to go on? Because it doesn't compute. It doesn't reconcile when what we see before us doesn't appear to match the character of God that we know, that he is all-knowing, he is all-loving, he is all-powerful. That's hard to understand with the things that we see. And so today, i got 25 minutes to answer this question or to explore this question. I heard Tim Keller had seven minutes, and I'm no Tim Keller, so I need all the extra time I can get. He had seven minutes to talk about this very topic at a 9-11 memorial ceremony recently. 
But I, like you, have been touched. My life has been touched with pain and suffering. And I ask that question, like you, why? Why do bad choices not always lead to bad consequences? Why do good people have bad things happen to them and bad people have good things happen to them? And my mind becomes like a child in the sense that I've got to resolve this. I need an answer. Either I'm causing it, somebody else is causing it, or is God causing it? But my mind starts to think that way. And I've got to say right up front as we walk together and I walk humbly with you to explore this whole notion of suffering, there is some of this that I say right up front, suffering, I don't know. Many times I've been in the middle of the pain and suffering and the answer I get is, I don't know. There is part of suffering that remains a mystery. And I need to say that up front. But this is such an important question. All of us have a theology of suffering, an understanding of suffering. We should. Even if you don't believe in God, you have a theology of suffering. Your theology is there is no God and all of this other stuff is just happening. That's your, but this question is so important because it helps us look at what's going on, both look back and look forward and to make it through it. It is an important question that all of us need to look at. And it's asked in different ways, philosophically and and personally. Philosophically, when people say, how can a loving God allow such suffering? What they mean is, why didn't God create a world where there is no agony and there is no pain? Right? He did. The answer to that is he did. All you have to do is go to page one of this book, and we read about the creation story, and we see that God created everything, the heavens, the skies, the things in the skies, the water, and everything in there, and the first humans. And when he was done, he said, it is good, and good meant no defect, no flaw, no suffering, no pain, no loneliness, no crying, no death. That's the world that he created. And the fact that we are disturbed and outraged and questioning why would a a loving God do this is a clue that things are not the way they are meant to be. That there must be another standard, maybe another sense of goodness because this sure doesn't add up. We read in the Bible that God is love. And if you have ever been in relationship and you love somebody, you understand you cannot buy love, you cannot force love. Love has to be a decision. And when love is a decision, the wrong choice can be made. And if you've grown up around the Bible, you you read about the... Adam and Eve and the decision they made, you know it still applies in your life. We will fight it all we want. Why should I pay for their sin? We see this. They had everything 
in this garden. It was pleasing. He gave them all things. He walked with them. He showed them what it meant for a person to live a life close to God under his provision, his protection. And he gave them everything and they just called out one thing, do not eat from the tree of knowledge and evil. And what did they do? You know that they chose what they wanted to do. And today we still do that. He said you'll surely die. Obviously they didn't drop dead but they live a life separated from God. That's why we have, what's our mission? Helping people connect with God because we truly believe that people are disconnected from him and that they need to be brought back in relationship. But when Adam and Eve made that choice, we read what God said in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 13. He says, what is this you have done? It's not a what is this you have done? I never thought of that. It's, what have you done? He knew that they chose wrongly. And I say this because all of the awful, or a vast majority of all of the awful things that we see in suffering, pain, and evil, many times either directly or indirectly are caused by human choice. There are people who are lonely, and they're lonely because of their own hurtful words, the own gossip that they spread. There are people who are struggling because of financial stuff, but it was choices in some cases of where they never lived with boundaries. It was greed, and they had no budget. They're, they're experiencing consequences of their choice. People are affected indirectly from the choices of others. Like somebody who's been drinking alcohol, gets drunk and gets in the car, maybe hurts himself and hurts others. There are people who want to get what they want and they use physical and emotional abuse to get what they want. Choices play a big part in what the suffering that, and evil that we see. And I know as we're doing this, yeah, I, you know, if you're like me, you're like, I understand part of that. I'm not happy with it. I get that part. But how about those cases where it's not directly to, to human choice. What do you have for that? Uh, that's a tough one. I don't, tornadoes. I, I don't know why the tornado happened. Take, for instance, starvation. Somalia, worst drought in 60 years in Africa. Why did that happen? 3.9 million people starving there. And in the region, 11 million who are starving. And they, this, it was projected this summer over a 90-day period that actually 29,000 would die. And every day, 40,000 people die of starvation within a 24-hour period. Today, 40,000 people will die. And with Somalia, Somalia, you wonder, God, why don't you pour down rain like like Bible times, why don't you just flood that and end that drought? That part, I don't know why he doesn't do that. But I will tell you that human choice is still involved and is a main player in something like Somalia. This planet has enough, it produces enough food to give a human close to 3,000 calories for everybody on this earth, 3,000 calories worth of food every day. 
It's not for the shortage of food that we have the starvation going on in Somalia. It's, in that case, it has to do with greed. It has to do with political corrupt, corruption and human choice where people are saying, not your will, my will. So even in the case where it's outside of our control, we see how human choice can still play a factor. God did make a world that we think he should have made. But a lot of what we're experiencing is due in a large part to the choices that you and I make. We, get to, we hear that, we say, okay, well, why doesn't he fix it? If it's broken, why doesn't he fix it? He is. He is using his church, the big church, all bodies of believers in Jesus Christ, and he's using them to bring first and foremost what he gave each Christ follower a mission. He said, take the message of Jesus Christ. Take my story to the world because transformation is going to start to happen when you do that because you're going to love God and you're going to love others. We do that. We start on Sundays. We bring the message of Christ out to all of us. We do it in all the other rooms, 252 and Kid Zone. We take that from here on Sunday and we do it in life groups and continue the dialogue. We end up serving one another in life groups. The life groups end up going out and serving and helping the community in things like neighbor to neighbor and giving some tutoring to people who can't get it. People with love from Jesus distributing clothes and food and praying with them. Our West Campus has a food pantry that has food, clothing. We do all of those things, but we bring something that is so much more valuable, and that is the message of Christ. We say we serve in the name of Christ, and we bring the message of Christ. And what we give you in addition to those things is something that will affect your life for eternity. You see, we want to make Jesus the hero of this community and in the world. We'll start here with this little nook and cranny of Raleigh. It's not life point that we want to be the hero, but Christ. This church is big into church planning. In the nation, we do that through an organization, through Stadia. Donnie just got back Friday evening with Stadia, and uh, we're looking at a partnership with Compassion International over in Ecuador, where we would come and just be part of getting a church established there where Jesus Christ can be the hero of that community. And we just do whatever he calls us to do. You see, suffering can be eased if the church is the church and is doing what Christ calls us to do. He is working in and through us. And I say, okay, if, it's, if he's working on it, why doesn't he hurry up, right? Why, isn't, why doesn't he move quicker? We read in 2 Peter Chapter 3, these words, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
You see, one day this world with all its suffering and all of its pain will come to an end. But for God to get there and get rid of all, you know, get rid of evil and suffering, he's got to get rid of all of it. Every single bit of it. There's a Russian novelist and historian who was in prison because of his views on communism. His name, and I'm only going to say it once, is Oyeksandr Solzhenitsyn. Here's what he has to say about this. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary, necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the dividing line of good and evil, it cuts through the heart of every human being. The Bible says it this way in Romans 3.23. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God does not want anyone to perish, to suffer. He doesn't want them to go to their death not knowing him and having the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So what may appear as him being slow is only his divine patience in waiting for all of those who have not turned to him to turn to him. Because a world free of suffering and evil means the beginning of a Christless eternity for some, and Jesus doesn't want that for everyone. He is being patient. You know, all these philosophical questions, why did he create a world like this? Why doesn't he fix it? Why doesn't he hurry up? I asked those myself. But it comes to a point when you're standing and suffering, right? And you're in the middle of it. There comes a point where you got to transition and say, what do I do with it? Because I, it's usually selfish because I'm hurting. It hurts too much. And those questions of why aren't, that's not answering. It's not, I need relief. And so there comes a point where I got to accept that suffering is. And now is my response to suffering. What am I going to do in the face of suffering? And that's kind of what I want to do with our time left together, is look at the Apostle Peter, and he wrote to people who were suffering. And I want to look at how we can suffer well. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When we are in the middle of suffering, we do have options. We do have options. We can flee. We can say, God, I don't even feel you're there. You're small, and we can flee. But what I have found in my own life is that doesn't bring any relief. What hope, what promise do I have apart from God? Fleeing is an option, but it doesn't yield any hope. And Peter is saying Pain and suffering don't have to make you turn away from God. You can turn toward him. And he's saying your faith, and this is hard. 
Your faith is more valuable than anything. It's more valuable than the healing that you want. It's more value, valuable than the escape from the suffering. Your faith is of greater importance than that. That's a hard message to hear. But God's saying, your faith can grow in this and now your faith will be proved genuine. Suffering reveals the character, our character. It revealed the character of our God who suffered on the cross for somebody else. Our faith is more valuable and may it be proven genuine. He also says that this faith in the time of suffering, may God have the glory. You mean I have to suffer for him or so that other people can see him? Mm -hmm. That's hard, but it's a truth. So our faith can grow in times of suffering and it can help us walk in our suffering, but suffering is hard. It's very hard to think what can come of this suffering. Because we read passages like Paul in Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, God's not just asking us to, oh, rough it out, stand there and hope you make it through it. This passage says, and we read in other places, we don't suffer apart from the knowledge of God and apart from him being there with us. That's hard because one sense, you mean you're letting me go through this. That's hard. But he knows, we read that he knows when a sparrow drops to the ground. But more importantly, he knows every hair on your head. He cried when Lazarus, when he was in front of Lazarus. He had compassion on the people who came in illness and sickness. We read he had compassion. And although it would be hard for us in this time to understand pain and suffering, we must trust that he knows what's going on and he cares. And this verse says he is working to bring something valuable and good through it. And just because we don't understand that doesn't mean that God isn't doing that he is purposing one thing in our life and that is to look more and more like his son jesus christ he's a famous uh, sculptor and artist michelangelo who was asked how he was able to create one of the most anatomically perfect statues of david and he says this I just took a flawed piece of marble and then I looked in it and I saw the man David. Then with a hammer and a chisel in hand, I began to take away everything that wasn't him. God can work in our brokenness. We have to move from a point where we, or we have to accept that suffering is. We have to trust that he's working in it and we have to allow him to do and bring things from it. As I look on my life, look back, and many of you will say the same thing. 
the biggest growth that I ever had spiritually came through the very difficult seasons in life. And as a result of that spiritual growth, every ounce of me was changed from head to toe and heart. And so I don't know what you're going through. I'm not even going to attempt to say what good God can bring from it other than I don't know. But what I can say is I, you can trust God with this, that he knows, he cares, and he's working in and through that. But Peter says there's something that's important if we're going to allow God to work in our suffering there's something we're going to focus on. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He was writing, remember, this letter to people who are suffering. And they, like you, are in the middle of it, and it is hard for them. And Peter is saying something about how they are suffering well. He says, though you do not see him, what they saw is what you see, some of these difficult things in life. Though you do not see him, Christ, you love him. You hold on to him. You believe in him. And what, what's the result of that? You are filled with inexpressible joy. That doesn't compute. But it is a divine working of God. In the middle of this suffering, he has a way of bringing a sense of assurance and confidence and a deep sense of joy knowing that he's got this in control and he's working in it. Our focus, Peter's saying, is to be, and you know where I'm going with this, on Jesus, on the cross, why? Because when you see the cross, you see God entering into our suffering and beginning to work good in it. That right there is a visual clue to know that he is working amidst our suffering. Our roots, as we're suffering, need not just during suffering, but need to go deep down into Christ because it's that that's going to hold us in the storm. The cross is something we're going to be looking at. For some of you, you're here and the suffering is loss of a loved one. You look at the cross and you see God the Father losing his only son. He understands the pain that you're feeling. Maybe you're lonely and you feel rejected and nobody understands what you're going through. We look at the cross and we see a man who's dying because the world didn't understand him. He understands what you're going through. You stand in the middle of whatever's going on and you're saying, why? Why this circumstance? Jesus, the night before he was crucified, went and said, is there any way we could work this some other way? Is there another option? He understand why. And even when he was up on that cross, though the Father never left him, he said, why have you forsaken me? He understands what you're going through. 
And Peter's focus is saying, focus on Christ because it's going to help you here and it's going to help you to look ahead and have hope. Look at chapter 3, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You see, a living hope. It's the promise that we have that God is, is going to restore things to the way he had them. And we can look forward to that time when we as Christ followers can claim our inheritance and it becomes a full reality. He promises that suffering and evil will never have the last word. The resurrection proves that. Because one day, right, there will be a day, as we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, where he will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. One thing I do know, there are lots of things we said we don't know, right? One thing I do know is this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. God is fixing it in and through his church with the transforming message of a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And that he can work good out of all of this. And we are to keep our focus on him. But how he decides when to allow pain and suffering and when to work through pain and suffering, I don't know. What I do know is it's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he is distant. Because I look at the cross and I know that he loves and cares for us. I went to Guatemala and I saw a man named Vitalino who lost all use of his body. And these words about focusing on Christ and what good could suffering you know, come of this, he knew. He knew God was working in things. He may never get his body to work again. We actually had to carry him wherever he went, and he had a smile. He lived for when we came and gave communion to him because he also knew he could hope and look forward to the day where his body will be restored. It's so easy in times of suffering and evil and pain to try to reason the character of God from what's going on. But I would encourage you to put your roots deep down into the truth of who God is and then look out into his creation. Because if you try to do it the other way around, look at creation and then reason God's character. It is like trying to find out the secrets of the depths of the ocean from a thimble of ocean water. You will never be able to do it. And you've got to trust that though now we see in know in part, someday we will know and fully see. Until then, it is my prayer that you and I walk clinging to the cross as we confidently move through the pain and suffering that we experience. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that um, you do have 
the perfect story and that someday we will be in a place where it was the way it was supposed to be. But I'm also thankful that now we can be in a relationship with you through your son and watch the transformation that he can do in the lives of those who connect with him. Lord, I pray for all of us here, for those that are going through pain and suffering, I pray that your son Jesus meet them right there and stories and transformation happen in the middle of that. And I pray for relief for them. Above all, I pray that you be glorified and the message of Christ begins to go viral in this world. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.